You can open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 is where we'll be this, this morning. And I want to introduce our guest speaker today. As many of you know, we are part of a family of churches called Sovereign Grace Ministries. Uh, we believe in the importance of the local church, but not apart from partnership with the broader body, and in particular for us, our family of churches that we're part of. Uh, we are committed to partnering together. We're actually going through the book of Philippians as a church, and we're learning about this gospel partnership. We see Paul, who has this wonderful gospel partnership with the Philippians, and we're learning about this mutuality of care and encouragement that goes on, and we get to experience that as part of um, our group of churches, Sovereign Grace Ministries, and Mark Prater, who will be speaking to us this morning, uh, is, a, is a vital part of that partnership for us. Mark oversees the Northeast region. Um, he also oversees the church planting team for our denomination, so there's some wonderful things going on. I think he's going to talk about that. And also, I want you to know that, that Mark is a pastor of pastors. Uh, part of his role and part of our connection to Sovereign Grace Ministries is to provide care and accountability and equipping and encouragement as well for our pastors. So in many ways, Mark is my pastor. Uh, he's a good friend, a godly man, a gifted man. So let's welcome him up as he brings us the word this morning. Good morning. I really have been looking forward to be with you, and I'll tell you uh, in a minute why. Uh, let me tell you this, though. Paul picked me up this morning, and we walked out to his car, and he had a flat tire. And I said to him, well, you know what? Jeff just passed that oral exam yesterday. Maybe we should just go have breakfast and call Jeff and let him preach. So, Jeff, we thought about that, by the way. That would be not so nice. Um, Jeff did a great job yesterday. I was uh, up here this weekend partly to participate in his oral exam, and I think you'd be very proud of him. Uh, I came away thinking this man could pastor me and my wife very well, and uh, I know he's already doing that here, but to, to begin to recognize that, Jeff, is, is, is a joy for me to celebrate with the church with you today. So, well, again, well done, buddy. Really well done. Now, here's why I have been eager to be with you. Uh, you, King of Grace, uh, play a very important part of our mission in Sovereign Grace Ministries. Um, our, our local churches are, are vital to what we do together, and this church in particular, I believe, uh, plays an important role. Uh, we believe that local churches plant other local churches. That's what you see in the New Testament, and when those churches are planted, the purpose of it is not to grow a ministry, the purpose of it is to reach people who don't know Christ. And I believe King of Grace, in particular, is positioned to plant more churches in New England where the gospel desperately needs to be proclaimed and shared and where people need to come to Christ and know the good news that we do. So I, I want to talk a little bit about that today. But before I do that, I want to thank you for your commitment to this local church and for your desire to reach your community and those who don't know Jesus with the good news of Jesus Christ. So thank you for that. Thank you for your partnership that we have together. And I know part of the reason that you're a church that's that way is because your, your lead pastor, Paul Buckley, is that way. One of the things that every time I spend time around Paul, and I was reminded again yesterday of this, is that he just is a man who, who is thinking about unbelievers and how he can reach them, and how you as a church can reach them. He's thinking about, we talked about church planting yesterday, and not just here in New England, but we kind of talked overall in Sovereign Grace, different ways to go about it, and that just, it just oozes out of him. Uh, you know that about Paul, but it's one of the things that, I, buddy, I think this just commends you as a pastor, and your example is always affecting me, so thank you for your heart for the lost, and thank you for doing such a great job of leading this church as well. Okay, I want to read you a phrase, and I want to see if you know what it is. Okay, here's the phrase. Wholeheartedly loving God and one another by worshiping, witnessing, and walking in the good news of Jesus Christ 
for all of life. Do you recognize that? What is that? Never heard of it. <laughs> Dave never heard of it. Nice. It's the church's mission statement. When I read this, when I read this statement that describes what your mission is as a local church, it told me that you are a people that are not only gospel lovers, but that you believe God has called you to do some radical things for Jesus Christ. That's what it told me about you. And so I want to talk to you today about your life. I want to talk to you today about your life as an individual believer, and I want to talk to you about your life as a family of believers, as a, as a local church. I want to talk about what you will give yourself to and the, the kind of culture that you're building here at Covenant of, uh, excuse me, of King of Grace Church so that as you look into the future, you will anticipate that God is going to use you to do some wonderful things for Jesus. You, you know that you don't have to know a lot of things to do some radical things for Christ. But you have to know one thing very well. And you have to be willing to sacrifice for it and give your life to it and be committed to it. And you know that one thing is that glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And what I want, what I want to show you from Colossians chapter 1, I want you to be convinced of this from this text, that the, the power of the gospel is so unstoppable that if you as a believer and you as a local church, if by faith you'll, you'll harness yourself to the power of the gospel, you're going to do some wonderful things, some, some transforming things for Jesus Christ. I spent time praying for you this morning. And I prayed that, that this text, that this passage would stir each of you, that it would deepen your faith. I was, I was, I was affected because uh, just in an unplanned way, in worship, just, just subjective sense that you as a church are, are really about to and be involved in church planting in a way that is going to reach this area of New England and maybe beyond with the gospel. Just overwhelmed by that. It's partly an answer to my prayers for you earlier. So I, I want you to be convinced from this text. I want you to be stirred by it, not by my preaching, but by the words contained here. And here's what I want you to see. And this is what we see in the text. This simple sentence. The power of the gospel produces growth. It's that simple. The power of the gospel produces growth. And let's, let's read Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. If you, if you have sermon titles, I've got one. It's called It's Bigger Than Us. For this sermon, Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that we have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our, be our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, as I was praying earlier for this church this morning, I, I pray for each one again, each member of this church. I thank you that you have rescued them from your wrath, that you've purchased them with your blood. And because of that, they are precious in your sight. And I pray that you would use this church and this group of people Pray that you would use them to do wonderful things for Jesus in bringing the, the good news of Christ to those in this area and, to, and into New England. I pray that you would stir faith in them today for this task, and I pray that you would grant them a, a wonderful vision for their future, 
in a way that they anticipate your work and your activity in using them. And we pray, Lord, for this area. We pray that many more would come to know Jesus as we've come to know Jesus. Would you save many souls as you have saved us and do that so that on that final day, even more will gather around the throne and give you glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. My wife Jill and I have been married a little over 32 years. We have three married daughters and now four grandchildren with a a fifth one on the way the first week of March. I wish she were with me because she always makes me look a lot better than I really am, but she's, she's not with me today. When our three girls were younger, we, we had sort of this tradition around our house. Uh, many of you have probably done this. Uh, every so often, we would have each of our three girls stand against a, a door frame in our home, and we would mark their height on that door frame with a pencil and just write their initials or their name underneath. And then every few months or so, we would gather them together again and back them up against that door frame and, and mark their height again and the date and their name. We did that because day to day, we didn't see growth in our children. But when we backed them up against that door frame and we saw the, the markers on that door frame, we realized that, in fact, they were growing. Probably done a similar thing in your home. Now, I mention that because Paul begins this letter by talking about growth. In fact, he points to specific markers of growth, like the markers on the doorframe in our home. He he points to specific markers of growth in the Colossians' lives as proof that the gospel is powerful, that it is growing, that it is bearing fruit, as verse 6 says. The question is why? Why does Paul begin this letter talking about this gospel growth? Well, as you know, He's writing this letter from his prison cell in Rome to address a few issues that have been brought to him by this man named Epaphras. Epaphras most likely planted this church in Colossae and other churches in the Lycus Valley. And so he comes to Paul with some of the issues that he's facing in Colossae. And so Paul pens this letter to help Epaphras and to take it back to the church to address what they were facing there. We, we know that one of the issues that Paul needed to address is that there were these false teachers in the church teaching that there's something beyond the gospel, that there's something more than the gospel itself that people need to be fulfilled as believers. In fact, we know that one of the things that they were telling the people that they needed is that there was this greater knowledge that could be obtained uh, that was beyond the gospel and that you needed. So Colossians chapter two, verse eight, it says, see that no one takes you by captive philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. He's, he's warning against this teaching that you need this additional knowledge beyond the gospel. It's why he prays in Colossians chapter one, verse nine, that they would be filled with all the knowledge of his will, be filled with the knowledge of God. It's the reason that he's he's praying that way. See, these false teachers are essentially saying the gospel is not sufficient for you. And there's things that you need beyond the gospel, one of them being knowledge, that you need this knowledge to be fulfilled as a believer. And in that sense, these false teachers were shrinking down the gospel of Jesus Christ. The culture that you and I live in, it, it does a similar thing. It attempts to shrink the gospel in our lives. The world tells us that there's something more than the gospel that we need, that there's a a knowledge that we can have, that there is hope for advancement, that there's opportunity, and in that even, yes, a perceived power that can be obtained, and we need all that to be fulfilled as a believer. So what Paul does is he comes running into the middle of this confusion that these false teachers are creating and he firmly makes his stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. That for the believer, for for you and I, there is nothing greater than the gospel itself because it has a power that produces growth both qualitatively and quantitatively in our lives and in those around us. Now, Like our kids, we don't see gospel growth in our lives day to day. 
And so that's why Paul gives us these markers of growth, like the markers on that doorframe. He gives us markers of growth to prove to us that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing in our lives. So here's the question. How do you know, King of Grace, whether the gospel is producing growth in your life as an individual believer or as a church? Well, we can know, we can answer that question because Paul gives us three markers of gospel growth. So we're going to take a look at those. Here's the first marker that we see in the text. Number one, gospel growth is seen in us. Gospel growth is seen in us as individual believers. So Paul is sitting in his prison cell in Rome, and Epaphras comes to him and reports what's happening in Colossae. And we know from verses three through five that his first response to God is one of gratefulness, but he's not just grateful in a general sense. He prays specifically why he's grateful to God for what the gospel is doing in Colossae. And when he prays specifically, he gives us evidences of gospel growth in the individual believers there. So let's look at those individual evidences in verses three through five. We always thank God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Faith, there's a first evidence, and of the love, there's a second evidence, love that you have for all the saints because of the hope, there's a third one, laid up for you in the gospel. So a people who at one time had no faith, hope, and love have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and in a growing way now, faith, hope, and love mark their lives. In fact, if you you do your own reading through the New Testament, that triad, faith, hope, and love, is repeated over and over again as markers or as evidence that you're maturing as a believer, that you're growing as a believer. If you ever wonder, man, am I I really growing as a Christian? Take time and step back and see in an increasing way, is there more faith? Is there more love? And is there more hope in your life? Because they're markers of a Christian that's maturing. See, here's the point. Once God chooses us and regenerates our hearts, when he opens our need for the gospel, when we repent of our sin and we place our faith in Jesus Christ, when the Spirit indwells within us at conversion, and as we seek then to apply this good news, this gospel throughout our our days, each and every day, this unstoppable gospel that has power, it will increase our faith. It will deepen our love for Jesus. It will make our hope in him more firm and secure. Now, don't get me wrong. We will sin because indwelling sin still remains. We will fail. We may stumble. We may fall. But he who began a good work in us, he will carry it on to completion. Because the gospel, the power of the gospel produces growth. So here's, here's what I would recommend you do sometime over the next few days. In, in, in time that you're spending with God, just take a few moments and just think about the last seven or eight months of your life, take even the last year of your life, and just ponder for a moment how the gospel has produces, produced fruit in your life. Maybe it's in the categories of faith, hope, and love. Just ponder that and then take time to thank God for his gospel, to thank God for grace. Now, some might say, well, does that sound proud? I'm going to be talking about the ways that I've grown. I think the opposite is true. I think you're humbled by the fact that God has been at work in you, and it's, it's a moment where you can worship God and thank him for the gospel's work in your life. So do that. The power of the gospel Produces growth. So that's the, the, the first marker that we see is gospel growth is seen in us. Here's the second marker that we see in the text. Gospel growth is seen among us. So the, the first evidence is growth in us as individual believers. The second, gospel growth is seen among us. We see that in verses 5 and 6. So begin reading the second half of verse 5. Of this you have heard before, the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, speaking to individual believers, has come to you since the day, which has come to you, sorry, I lost my place here, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does where? Among you. Among you. So gospel growth is seen among us. 
See, when this, when this letter arrived in Colossae, what, what happened in that day is that the entire church was gathered. And the letter would have been read to them publicly. Most likely, Epaphras was the man who read this letter. I mean, think about if you were there that day in Colossae. He comes back from Rome. This is the first time that the church is gathered to hear this letter read. And, they, and he begins to read these words. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and growing. And then these words, as it also does among you, church. I wonder if the, the listener would have paused for a moment and just began to, to look around the, the gathering place that they were at and began to think about the different people in this church that had grown over the last period of time because of the gospel's work in their lives. I wonder if that was the case on that day. It, we ought to do a similar thing now and then. We ought to step back and marvel at grace. We ought to marvel at the gospel's work in our lives, at the gospel's work of those around us as well. So I want to I give you assignment, an assignment. I have no authority to give you this assignment. You can, you can blow me off, and that's certainly fine. I have no authority to do that. But it doesn't stop me from giving assignments anyway. You have care groups here, right? So sometime over the next few months, devote a care group meeting where the care group leader, maybe a week before, sends an email to everyone in that group and tells them, I want you to come tonight with evidences of where you've seen everyone else in the group grow as a result of the gospel working in their life. We did this recently at the church I'm a pastor at, Covenant Fellowship Church. We dedicated a, a care group meeting to that. And the reports that we got back from our care group leaders were just, they were just so exciting. Because they just, they just said it was one of the most encouraging meetings we ever had. People came with specific evidences of where those around them had, had grown. In fact, the, the meeting went, just kept going longer and longer. We had, to, we had to end the meeting because people could keep sharing. And in many of the meetings, they couldn't just end with sharing. The meetings broke out in worship, where then they turned their attention to Christ, and they gave him praise and glory for the gospel's work in their lives. So consider that as an assignment to to see that the gospel is growing among you. Now, one of the things that you have to note about this text, and in verse six in particular, is that the power of the gospel produces not only growth qualitatively, if you can say it that's in that sense, that it produces growth in godliness, it produces growth quantitatively as well. In fact, Peter T. O'Brien says about verse six, where it said, bearing fruit and growing, Peter T. O'Brien says, fruit bearing and increasing were marks of the gospel. So fruit bearing is the fruit of the spirit, the, the, the work of godliness in our lives, and increasing is really more people coming to Jesus Christ, growing quantitatively as well. I mean, just take a moment as a church and just step back and look around you and consider who wasn't here maybe two or three years ago. Maybe some of those newer believers, that's the work of the gospel in your life. Now, just one other thing about, about this verse that really helps me uh, in terms of fruit bearing and increasing. Unlike Paul, I'm just not very good at evangelism. I think I stink at evangelism, to be very honest with you. I share the gospel with people, no one gets saved. You ever had that experience? I, I invite people to church, nobody comes to, to church when I invite them. It's, I'm kind of invite you in my self-pity in that regard. I'm unlike Paul in that, in that way. But when I read this verse, when I have those experiences, by the way, I can get discouraged. I can just stop reaching out. I mean, what's the use if no one's getting saved and no one's coming to church? What's the use? But I find in verse 6 this, this great encouragement that, that takes my discouragement and roots it in the power of the gospel, this fruit this fruit bearing and, and increasing. William Hendrickson says it this way. In Colossians 1, verse 6, Paul is placing all the emphasis upon the fact that by God's power and grace, it is the gospel itself that is thus bearing fruit and growing. Now, I love this part. The gospel never depends on man. 
not even on Paul. It is God's good work in which he is pleased to use man. Now that is very freeing, isn't it? It's very freeing in the sense that all we're called to do is be faithful to share the gospel with unbelievers. But the result of that, their conversion, whether they ever come to church or not, that's not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon God. This is God's work and it's his God's doing. We just get this privilege to participate in it. See, the, the power of the gospel does produce growth. So we see that the, the, a marker, first marker is gospel growth is seen in us, right? The second one, it's seen among us. But did you note from the text that it's not just a local phenomenon? Here's our, here's our third marker of growth. Gospel growth is seen beyond us. It's seen beyond us. Again, let's go to the last half of verse 5 and into verse 6. Of this you have heard before, in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. The whole world. It is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you. So keep in mind context here. Paul is countering these false teachers with this bogus teaching that there is something greater than the gospel that believers need. And he points the Colossians. He counters that false teaching by pointing the the Colossians to the evidences of the power of the gospel in them as believers and in them as a local church. And he says to them, those things that are happening in you, those things that are happening here at King of Grace, those things are happening all over the world. And he shows us that this this gospel that we're a part of truly is bigger than us. It is grander and greater than what we might even imagine. And in that sense, it it reminds us of the mission that Christ has given us as believers and as of local churches. Jesus says it this way in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Go into all the world, all the world again, and preach the good news to all creation. So what Paul is doing here is he's intentional to tell the Colossians about the gospel's effect all over the world because it will encourage them to continue to reach out in the gospel in the Lycus Valley, in their community. And most likely, my guess is what he did is he, he also took what was happening in Colossae and he told other churches about it so they could be encouraged by what was happening in Colossae and, and in Lystra and throughout the, the Lycus Valley. See, what's, what's clear in the New Testament is that individual churches were, were not just isolated. They were truly connected to one another. And one of the ways that Paul connected them is he, he told them what was happening in the other churches as the, as the gospel advanced. And reports of the gospel's effect beyond your local church are intended to encourage you, King of Grace. And I'm going to take what's happening here and go tell other churches that I'm working with because I know your example will encourage them. It's one of the reasons I love being a part of Sovereign Grace Ministries. We truly are a family of churches where we, we share these stories with one another. And when you get a glimpse of what's going on beyond you, I think it encourages you here. So Paul asked me just to take a few minutes and give you an update on what's happening in church planting in Sovereign Grace Ministries. Have you ever ever noticed that you don't get to choose at what point in time in history that you live? We don't get to choose that, do we? God, God chooses that for us. But personally, I'm so glad that I'm living in this time of redemptive history. Here's why. Uh, Church planting is enjoying a resurgence, not only in the United States, it's enjoying a resurgence all over the world. There are a number of reasons for that. There's the the fading relevance of traditional mainline churches that's created a vacuum for other churches to be planted. There's the the rise of of church planting organizations, I believe gospel-centered church planting organizations who are committed to building Gospel-centered churches, so Acts 29, uh, the North American Mission Board, which is the Southern Baptist uh, Board for Church Planting, Harvest, Redeemer, what Tim Keller is doing in, in New York City area, for example. All of, these, all of these organizations, they're committed to planting and building gospel-centered churches, and so that's brought a resurgence of church planting. 
And because of God's grace and our family of churches, Sovereign Grace is having sort of an increased voice in the church planting world as, as well. So let me just give you an illustration. Dave Harvey, who, uh, who's uh, on the board for Sovereign Grace and responsible for church planting and church care, he's taught um, church planting seminars at the Gospel Coalition back in the spring and just back in the fall and September at John Piper's conference as well. It's just a, a way for us to participate in in the conversation. Because of that, we've got people that are interested in planting churches with sovereign grace. And I'm going to get to that in a moment. But let me just tell you what's happened probably over the last couple of years. Over the last couple of years, we've planted about nine churches. I'm just going to tell you about some of them really, really quick. We planted a church in Downingtown, Pennsylvania. Uh, started uh, about a year, almost two, actually now two years ago this past September. We sent it from our church, Covenant Fellowship Church. So Downingtown is about 30 miles north of where we're at. We had a group of people up there. We sent out um, 90 adults and 90 million kids on this church plant. It was a lot of families, just a lot of kids. No, it was, it was probably about 60 or 70 kids. I don't, it was about 150 total people and in, in counting children. They went to Downingtown with that group. Um, they are now, it's just there recently speaking, I think they're, they're about 260 now. And, and, and many of them are new believers who have come to Christ. There's been truly some conversion growth. And get this, they've been meeting in this, they started in a school, they got kicked out of the school. Now they're meeting in this movie theater and they're busting out of this movie theater and they haven't known what to do. And they just found out that they're gonna be able to purchase a building, an existing building from the school district there and, uh, and then maybe move into it in the next year. So pray for that if you would. It's just a great place right in Downingtown. We planted a church in Peoria, Arizona, which is a suburb of Phoenix about two years ago, in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Uh, we planted a church, this is more of an urban church plant in Arlington, Virginia, planted by Eric Simmons. That, that was a group that started with about a similar size, 90 to 100 adults. And um, I think Eric told me the other day they're, they're having to go to two services now. I think they're around 300 people or so. And, and that one in particular is a lot of new believers. Again, there's been conversion growth. We planted another urban church plant in San Francisco, California, and by the name of Toby Kurth. And if you talk to Toby, the thing he's most excited about, again, that there's not transfer growth, there's conversion growth. So people coming to Christ and joining the church. Planted a church in Orange County, California, which is sort of in the L.A. area. And uh, uh, also a church, uh, let me, two other ones. This is more international. Sydney, Australia. We got a plan a church there with Dave Taylor. And Dave, if you talk to Dave, he's just very excited about what's happening there in Sydney. It's, it's a growing church. Uh, a church in Seoul, South Korea, uh, where we as, a, uh, as pastors back at the conference in November heard an update from San Juan. And I think they, they've grown to about 60 people there in Seoul, if I, if I remember right. Um, here's some recent church plants. So on April 3rd of, of just this past year, Redeeming Grace Church had their first meeting. And Redeeming Grace Church is in Durham, North Carolina, and reaching out and, and obviously positioned to reach out to universities there as well. Uh, on, in June of 2011, we started a church, planted a church in Charleston, South Carolina. Anybody from the Charleston area? Okay. Yeah, you, uh, I, I hope that, I hope, you got to listen to the name of this church. I hope it means something there. Okay. Sovereign Grace Church of the Low Country. Low country. It's, it kind of depressed me when I first read it, but I think it means something down there. And they're a church that is actually growing there. They're having a little trouble finding a building, so they're meeting on Saturday evening uh, in, a, in a church that's opened their doors to them. We planted a church in, the, in uh, I think it was June or July of this past year in Charlottesville, Virginia, led by Keith Baralt. And get this, they are right across the street. They're meeting in a church on Sunday afternoons right across the street from the University of Virginia. Isn't that a great place to be in terms of reaching college students in particular with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And we planted a church in Dayton, Ohio, which is part, actually part of the region we're a part of, uh, led by John Butler. I just talked to John about three weeks ago on the phone, and they, uh, he's consistently had 120 to 125 people come on a Sunday morning there in the Dayton area, which is very, very exciting. We sent out a church planning team at the pastor's conference in November to Tunisia. So this is a Muslim nation, and there's a lot of risk in that. Be praying for that church plant, if you would. And we're going to be 
Actually, I think they're just getting started now, planning a church, another church in Miami. So we have a Sovereign Grace Church in Miami that's sending another church plant out to another part of Miami. It's led by, this church plant is led by Jose Prado, and he's planting in a primarily Hispanic area, and this is going to be a bilingual church. And we're really excited about that, um, that church plant. And you're going to be hearing soon about a church plant in Melbourne, Florida as well. So those are some of the, the things that are happening right now, have been happening or happening in, in Sovereign Grace. Another thing that's, that's um, really sort of affected us is there are groups of people that form, and they somehow find one another, they, they, they like Sovereign Grace, and they say to us, come to our city and plant a church. We're humbled by that. So we have groups right now in Salem, Oregon, in Altoona, Pennsylvania, in Fort Wayne, Indiana that are, are asking for church plants. I just received an email this week, another email from, from Fort Wayne, Indiana. They always say Fort Wayne means city of churches, and they always use it as a reason we're supposed to go plant there. I know what that means, but they, they use it. <laughs> so we, are, we, we, we just want to, be, to per, per, participate in what God is doing. Let me, let me just talk about you for a moment. Um, I was telling Paul and Bauer this last night when we were having dinner. I, I just have this growing desire along with you to plant churches in New England. And that's what I was overwhelmed by partly in worship because I believe God's going to use you. I really do. I think you, King of Grace, are going to be very important to uh, our partnership and to the planting of churches in New England. I was, I was talking before, uh, before the worship we were just talking about. There are literally towns that have churches where the gospel's not being preached. And you talk, want to talk about mission field, I think it's here in New England. And so I want you to know my heart and Sovereign Grace's heart in, in that way. I, I'm saying all of that, and I'm holding that all before you because some of you sitting here may be called to be a part of church planting. Some of you as, yay, all right, I like that. That's a good response. It's better than the other way. Some of you young men sitting here may be called to, to plant the church and to be the pastor of that church and to, to spend the rest of your life there. Some of you are in high school or in college or seminary students or w w wherever you're at in your season of life. If you feel stirred that way, be talking to Paul about those things. But I just don't want to limit it to, to men. I want to I expand it to both men and women because some of you sitting here, singles or families, you may be called by God to leave and be a part of a church planting team in another town in, in New England. God may, may call you to do that. And so what we want to do in Sovereign Grace, my, my role in serving in the church planting team, is we want to come alongside of you and help you evaluate that and help you equip that so that we can plant more churches in the New England area. We have a real commitment to that. It's why Dave Harvey's job description is church planting and church care. It's why we created this little group called the Church Planning Group that I'm a part of that's based at Covenant Fellowship in Philadelphia. And our, our responsibility is basically to, to do a couple of things, to assess and train church planners and then deploy them, but it's also to help equip uh, church planning teams of men and women of members of our churches to leave and to go plant churches in, in their area. It's what we're, we're doing in the Church Planning Group. Let me tell you one other, one other thing about the church plan group that I think will, will encourage you. We have, a, we have a number of men that are coming to us, both from inside and outside of Sovereign Grace, that are saying, we want to plant churches with Sovereign Grace. And so for men who are part of our local churches, we say, great, you can talk to your pastor, and if he's affirming that, then we just begin to walk them through a, a church plan track that, that potentially includes the pastor's college and a church plan residence, and then they go and they, they plant a church. But we've got a number of men from outside of Sovereign Grace, pastors, trained pastors who are saying, we want to plant a church with you. Now, in the past, we would say to them, the only pathway we had into Sovereign Grace is, okay, quit your ministry or quit your job and move your family and go find a job and we'll talk in five or ten years. That's not real appealing, is it? Not appealing at all. I mean, I'm not going to come to Sovereign Grace for that. So we had to create these pathways in, and so we have now a pathway where we assess them and they can apply for a church planning internship that they would do in a Sovereign Grace church, 
And then from there, they could go to the pastor's college. And then after that, they would be in a church planting residence in a church near where they would plant. And then they would be deployed into church planting. And each of those positions would be paid positions. The, the church planting internship and the church planting residence. So they, they can participate in ministry vocationally while we're training them. It gives them time to know us and we get to know them. So over the last just 24 months, we've evaluated 50 men who are in some phase of of our church planting process. Some of them have planted churches. Some will plant churches, hear me talk about. But listen to this. 30 of those 50 men have never been a part of a Sovereign Grace church before. We think that's really exciting, actually. Trained men, men with ministry experience that are coming to us and we're evaluating them. Three of them now are in our pastor's college this year. So Matthew Wireman, who's just finishing up his PhD at Southern Seminary, uh, is at our pastor's college, will most likely do a residence in Charlotte, North Carolina, and then plant somewhere in the southeast. Greg Durnberger comes with a, uh, actually a D-min from Gordon, an MDiv and a D-min from Gordon, has um, probably 20 years of ministry experience. He's, he's, he's an old guy like me, so, so to speak. He's in his 50s, and he's going to go plant a church potentially in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And then we have a guy, Dave Odom, who has an MDiv from Southwestern in Dallas and um, will go to Knoxville and do a church planting residence and then potentially plant a church in Nashville, Tennessee. All guys who have never been a part of a Sovereign Grace church before. So we, we're kind of beginning to work this pathway so that they can plant churches. So why, why am I telling you all of this? Why am I giving you this update? Here, here's the two reasons why. First, like you, We as a family of churches believe in the power of the gospel. We believe that it does this day, in our time, bear fruit and increase, as verse 6 tells us. The gospel that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same gospel, same gospel power that works in our life and among us and beyond us to see more come to Christ. And you and I, brothers and sisters, we can't miss what we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't take for granted its power. Terry Virgo, I love this quote, says it this way. It is of no small thing to be the world's only light, to be the fulfillment of centuries of ancient prophetic promises, to be heralding the day of the Lord, to hold the message of history in your hands. That's you and I. We hold the message of history in our hands. To hold the message of history in your hands and to be the world's one and only answer. It is our indescribable privilege to be caught up by the Holy Spirit in the greatest movement in history, the proclaiming of Christ to every tribe, people, and nation. That's what we are a part of, brothers and sisters. And that's what King of Grace is going to be a part of in planting churches in New England. So that's the first thing. Let's never take for granted the power of the gospel. Here's the second reason I'm telling you all this. We believe, as I mentioned before, we believe as a family of churches that local churches plant other local churches. That's what we believe. It's not an organization planting churches. It is local churches planting local churches. So each of you sitting here, you have a role. And so what do you do? Let Let me suggest that you do what the text says. Let's look at verses seven and eight. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So so what do you do? What do you do in participating in this mission that Christ has given us? I would suggest that you be a faithful minister of Christ that you would be like Epaphras in this passage. See, we've got to make sure that in defining mission, that we don't give a narrow definition. In other words, mission is not just in the going. Mission is about the staying as well. Whether you go or whether you stay, you are participating in gospel mission. And so your faithful service to this local church is gospel mission. When you faithfully attend and participate on Sunday morning, you're participating in gospel mission. When you 
faithfully attend care group, when you serve this church, when you generously give money to this local church, when you participate in evangelism, when you pray for the lost, these are not ordinary things. These are not mundane things. These are extraordinary things where you are participating in gospel mission. Now let me explain why. Because strong local churches plant strong local churches. That's been our experience. And so if you stay here as a faithful minister of Christ, as serving in children's ministry, or serving at the pregnancy center, or praying for the lost, whatever it might be, you're strengthening this church so that it will plant other strong churches. That is mission. So the mission is not only in the going, it's in the staying as well. The power of the gospel produces growth. And that's what you're going to participate in. And I want to end by telling you a story to give you an idea of what you will do. I'm sure you've already done. When in 1996, I was sent from Covenant Fellowship Church, Jill and I and our kids and a a team of about 10 adults to plant the Sovereign Grace Church in Pittsburgh. Dave and I were talking about that in the car. He's from Pittsburgh. We arrived in Pittsburgh as a small church planning team and we began to pray and we just felt like the Lord had given us this particular community, this particular area called Westgate and Broadhead, sort of just laid this community on our hearts. It was a poor area. It was, it was drug infested. It, was, it, was, it had crime there. And we just sort of made our way into this community. We got to know people and we learned that they had a food bank in this, in this little community. And so someone donated a truck to the church where we could haul food from another food bank into their food bank just as a way to serve that community. So weekly on Thursdays, we would arrive with a truckload of food to stock their food bank in this community. And as we unloaded the truck, we got to to know people. We held carnivals there in the summer. We did E-teams in that community. We began to do Bible studies in people's homes as they began to opened their lives to us. And as we got to know the community, there was one man in particular, James Lowe, I call him Mr. Lowe, very affectionately, he got to know Mr. Lowe. Mr. Lowe was a, an older man who began to be affected by our gospel outreach. He started attending Providence Church. And he was there for about a year and a half, and he had, been, he had um, many... I had the opportunity to share the gospel with him. Many members of our church had the opportunity to share the gospel with him, and he seemed to be drawn by that. So he was attending church on a regular basis. He he decided to go through our new members class. And I'll never forget on a Saturday morning, I did his new membership interview, and I sat down with him to interview him for membership. And as I talked with him, as much as a human can discern, I didn't think he was a Christian. I didn't think he was a believer. And so I told him that I would not be receiving him into membership on that day, and I just took the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him one more time. He left my office, and I wondered if we would ever see him again, because he was, he was disappointed that he wasn't received as a member. But he continued to come, and the, the members of Providence Church, they would share the gospel with him on Sundays. He heard the gospel preach on Sundays. We were in the homes of people in that community. He would come to Bible studies and birthday parties and just things that we would do with the people in that community. And then from that point, from that Saturday on, over the next year and a half or so, somewhere in that time, Mr. Lowe was born again. He repented of his sins. And he placed his faith in Jesus Christ. And he was changed. And he became a member of Providence Church. Now I tell you all of that because this past February, I received an email from Mike Pearson, who's now leading that church, doing a wonderful job. And the subject line said, James Lowe. And Mike wrote this. It is with sadness that we inform you that our dear brother James Lowe passed away this morning at his home. Please be praying for his wife and family as they grieve this loss. And then he said this. Mark, I knew you would want to know this news. Though it saddens me, I quickly recall your faithfulness and the faithfulness of the members of Providence Church to take the gospel to Mr. Lowe. 
knowing that Mr. Lowe trusted Christ makes today a celebration rather than a defeat. Thanks for your investment in the gospel. Now, I tell you that story because there are Mr. Lowe's all over New England. They're all, all around in your community. And God is going to use you, King of Grace Church, to reach them and to save them, not just in the present, so that they will spend eternity forever with us as we worship Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for their heart to reach the lost. And I pray that this gospel that has power would bear fruit in their lives and that it would increase through them. I pray that you would use this church to reach many in this area for Christ. And I pray that you would use this church, the church plant in New England, so that beyond them, all over the world, they would participate in gospel growth. And may that all occur for the glory of Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're welcome, Paul. Thanks, man. Thank you, Mark, for serving us well. Just a little uh, choked up thinking about some of the Mr. Lowe's that we have known here. And it's wonderful to think that there's many more Mr. Lowe's out there. There's lots of other work. And, uh, and it's humbling and both and exciting as well just to think about the, the opportunities we trust God we will have to plant other churches so that in those other areas, uh, as we pray, areas like Manchester, God willing, Boston, maybe even next door to Methuen as well, there can be another church that's going to preach Christ and reach Mr. Lowe's and see, uh, see their lives changed. So thank you, Mark, for your encouragement. And we are, we are excited about what God will do. Well, let's stand as we close. And I just want to bless you in his name. This wonderful gospel, uh, it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The good news of Jesus, his righteous life, his death for our sins, his resurrection, his wonderful reign, his imminent return. This, this good news changes our lives. And it is that message we have a privilege to carry. And it is working in us. And so may, as it says in Ephesians 3, uh, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, that gospel power to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you this week in the glorious gospel. May he use you to touch others in his name. God bless. You're dismissed. Have a great week.